You're listening to a message from South Hills Church in Burbank, California. For more information about South Hills, check out SouthHillsBurbank.com. series that we've been in. Our series is called uh, From There to Here. We've been talking through the book of Ephesians. It's the letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. And he's trying to help them understand that once you were one way and now you need to be this way. Once you were over there and now you need to be over here. And Jesus is calling you to be over here. But once we were all over there and we were all in the same boat, the, the letter applies so well to a church like ours. Um, this is, he's writing this letter to a very young church. Uh, a church has only been around for a few years, very similar to South Hills. This campus has only been here for about four years or so. And um, he's writing this letter to a group of people. Some are Christians. Some are new to faith. Some have been around for a little while. Most are pretty, pretty new. And some are former Jews. Some are Gentiles. Some are non-Jews. And so they're all coming together. It's this big melting pot within this young church. They're all trying to figure it out together. And I think it's very similar to what this church is and what we've always been. We've been a church full of people trying to figure it out together. And uh, that's what Paul is writing into. And so today we're going to wrap up this series. Again, if you ever miss part or another part of the series and you want to go back, you can listen on uh, podcasts through iTunes or Google Play, uh, whatever device you have. Just You can download and listen to it. Um, some people just play it for their children when they're putting them to bed because apparently my voice makes children go to sleep. So... Uh, <laughs> Or it might make you go to sleep. I don't know. Whatever you need, I'm fine. It doesn't bother me at all. But I don't know if you guys have ever done this. Have you ever watched uh, somebody do something where they know that it's wrong? Like they know they shouldn't do it, but they still do it. And then they pretend like it was no big deal. Or they pretend like they are not the ones that did the wrong thing. I don't know if you've ever witnessed this. Uh, I was watching some stuff, uh, just doing some research. And uh, I found this video, and we've all probably seen this at some point or another. If you've ever been to a baseball game, you have witnessed this, uh, that when there's a foul ball or somebody hits a home run, you will watch grown adults trample children just to get to a, just to get to a fly ball. Like they will, and they would always say, like, oh, I would never want to hurt a child. But if there's a ball in the air, they don't care at all about children. They will trample them. They will do whatever they have to do to catch the ball. And we've, we've seen it. We've witnessed it. But I watched this one. With a guy that, there was a, a family, there, it's obviously this child's first ball game, he was uh, pretty young, and he's sitting there, he's got his little tiny glove that, you know, couldn't catch anything, and they're sitting there together, and the dad has his glove, they're having this, like, family moment, the mom is there, they've got their, they've got their food and all this stuff, and there's this uh, fly ball coming towards them, and so the dad you know, dad, like this is like your hero moment as a father. So the dad has his glove and he's, he's just right there. They're getting ready to catch this thing. And all of a sudden, at the last second, the guy sitting next to the dad jumps in front of him and catches this fly ball. And now, like normally it's no big deal, but in this moment, what happens, the camera stays on this family because the camera's kind of following it. And they cut away for a quick second and then they immediately go back because there's something developing. This child breaks down, just tears, just crying his eyes out. And the mom and dad are trying to, like, you know, rub his back and calm him down. And the whole time this is happening, all the people around them are, like, leaning in and, like, hey, it's okay, buddy. And, like, they're all trying to, like, console this child. And the whole time this is happening, the guy sitting next to them hands the ball to his wife. Okay, they're probably in their, like, mid-50s. He hands the ball to his wife, 
She's ecstatic. She can't believe that he caught a ball for her. So she's bubbly. She's all happy. He starts taking pictures of her. She's with it like this. Look at the ball. And then they're taking selfies with the ball. The whole time they're doing this, everyone is yelling at them. Give the ball back to the kid. Like everybody's screaming. They don't respond at all. And they're sitting next to this child. So they actually interviewed him on the news uh, after a little while because it kind of went viral for a little bit. And they interview him afterwards. And the guy goes, you know, we, if we would have known that he was that upset, we would have given the little boy the ball. <laughs> Which is a total lie. Because they were never going to give the little kid the ball. In fact, they didn't give the kid the ball. Even in the moment, they didn't give it to him afterwards. And so the team saw it and the team did the right thing. You know, they, the, somebody comes over from the representative of the team and they give the kid a, a couple balls signed by the team, bats, gear, all this stuff. So the kid made out, like, the kid made out. But it was hilarious to me that even, like, in the course of 10 minutes, the, the people, the adults, the grown-ups did not recognize what they had done. They didn't recognize this moment. They didn't recognize that this little kid had this moment, this dream moment of a father catching a ball for his son, and they stole it. Completely wrong move. We would all probably agree, unless you have no heart. You would agree with me that that is a wrong move. Yet, he still did it. And so the question that I have this morning, and what we're going to kind of wrestle through a little bit, is why do we do things when we know that it's the wrong thing, and we still do it, why do we do that? And we've all seen it. We've all witnessed somebody do something that's wrong. And we would scream at them that that's wrong. But we still do the very same thing. And we don't stop ourselves. We don't control ourselves. So sometimes we still do it. Even though we all know that we shouldn't. Even though we know it's the wrong way to respond. Even though we know it's not the right thing to post. Even though we know it's not the right comment to throw back. Even though we know it's not the right thing to say to our parents. Even though we know it's not the right thing to say to our children. Even though we know it's not the right thing to say to a teacher. Even though we know it's not the right thing to yell at your boss as you slam the door. Even though you know, you still do it. We still do things that we know are not right. And so Paul, the Apostle Paul, is going to lean into this tension. He's going to wrap up Ephesians in, in chapter 5 and 6, and he's going to wrap it all up. And he's going to lean in on a tension that feels like all of Ephesians is building to this moment. It feels like all of it's kind of coming to this point, and Paul is going to once again stress this idea to the church that once you were over there, but now you need to be here. Apostle Paul is going to lead and guide this young church, and he's going to talk to them And he's going to speak to us. And he's going to use these two terms, light and dark. He's going to talk about the light. He's going to talk about the darkness. So we're going to explore this idea a little bit this morning. Kind of the base of where we're going to sit is Ephesians 5, 8 through 11. We're going to look at a couple verses. So if you have a Bible or you have a device with an app and you want to go there, Ephesians 5, 8 through 11. If not, these verses will be on the screen. And it says this. The Apostle Paul, again, is writing this reminding us all that he's writing this from prison. He has been writing letters now for a number of years. So Paul gets to this place where he's writing a letter. He's written several before to churches. He planted this church. He has personal relationship to this church. And the Apostle Paul is going to write this letter, and he's going to really get down to the meat of what it is, the heartbeat of what he has been trying to communicate to this church. In verse 8, For once you were full of darkness feels firm. It feels a bit, a bit 
bit too much. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have the light from the Lord. So live as people of the light. For this light within you produces only what is good and right and true. Verse 10, so carefully determine what pleases the Lord. I love that phrase, carefully determine. What we talked about last week, think. (laughs) Think about it. Turn it on for a little while and think about what you do and what you do and how it pleases the Lord. So verse 11, take no part in the worthless deeds. Have nothing to do with the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. There's a lot going on here, and so we're going to take a moment and kind of unpack these couple verses. What does he mean? What does Paul mean, the Apostle Paul mean, when he says light? There's a bunch of confusion, actually, in the the scholarly world about what Paul is referring to. There's debates on on these different types of light and different definitions of light. Is he talking about the light in which is like what you see? It's a sight kind of thing. Is it warmth? Is that, that... cuddly feeling? Is it some type of divine perspective? Is it goodness? Is it mercy? No. Okay, I'll just say my opinion, no. Because the word that he uses is a specific Greek word that has one meaning. It doesn't mean anything else. And sometimes we like to read into scripture what scripture does not say. So we have to take a step back. This is why Bible studies are good. This is why looking at words are good and understanding what they mean. The word that he uses is a Greek word, phos, P-H-O-S. It's the, the root word of the word phosphorus. And what it literally means is light. It just means light. It doesn't mean anything else. Because Paul's making a very specific point. The phrase that he uses is a Greek phrase. It's, it's phos and Kyrios. And the phrase that he used literally means you are the light of the Lord. It's a very specific phrase, and what Paul is very careful with is the words that he chooses. Because again, he's writing from prison. This is an important letter to him, and he's trying to stress something to this young church. And he's reminding them that you are the light. You are the light of the Lord. That when you came into a relationship with God, when you accepted Jesus Christ, when you said yes to him in your life, you have been infused with his light. And you now represent him. You are his light to the world around you. So Paul is making this statement that there is a difference between light and dark that they respond differently, they react differently, they're viewed differently. And Paul even personalizes this idea, this idea of light and dark, saying that we are or we were. At some In your life, you were full of darkness. You were darkness. But now that you have Christ in your life, you are light. He, there's, a, there's a personification of light and dark in what he's saying. And we all know this because we know how easy it is to operate and live in darkness. We know how easy it is to live our lives in the shadows and how difficult it is to be in the spotlight. We know that once you step into the light, you are exposed. You are now open season to be seen and to be criticized. And it's why so many people don't want to be in the spotlight. 
That's why so many people don't want to put their faith out there. Because the moment you put it out there and everybody knows who you are and what you stand for, you now are going to be viewed differently. Because you're in the light. And it's why it's so easy for us to stay a little bit in the shadow. And hold back. And not be the light of the Lord as what Paul is calling us to. But being a little bit of light that kind of hides over here in the shadow. And only uses my light when it's necessary or important. See, I don't think anybody ever sets out in life to be cold and narcissistic or indifferent towards others or vengeful. I think at times it just sort of happens because that's our human nature. It's dark. It's what darkness is. It's dark. It's ugly. It's a piece of us that we're not proud of. It's that part of us that we're shameful of. It's that thing that we wish nobody else would ever find out or know about us. But it finds a way into each of our hearts. It finds a way into each and every one of our minds, and it begins to affect the way that we act towards others. You've seen this. You've seen this in innocent little children. Little children who, in one moment, are really kind and loving, and they play together, and you're taking pictures and posting it all over social media because it's the cutest moment of your life, and they're laughing, and they're giggling, and within like 30 seconds, it's like a demon emerges from one of them. And they begin to like scream bloody murder for no reason. And they're, they're throwing, you know, die-cast trucks at other children's faces. And they're just trying to bury a kid in the sandbox. It's like, it's what children do. That you can immediately go from this moment over here of just being in the light. And suddenly the darkness emerges. And it's not just in children. It's in all of us. That you can be in church. You can be the happiest person getting your coffee in your donut holes, just being happy. You're in the light. You're singing songs. You're nodding. You're even like giving me complimentary laughs every once in a while. It's wonderful. And the moment you pull out of here, darkness emerges. You get on the freeway. You hate everyone. It's what we do. There's this thing inside of us that wants to come out into our actions and how we affect others. It's uncaring. It's self-involved. It's, it's when we take revenge on somebody for wronging us. It's wanting to hurt someone who has hurt us. It's what we do to take it out on other people. That if somebody gets in our way, we are going to do whatever we have to do to get that foul ball. We will trample whoever needs to be trampled in order for us to get what we ultimately want. It's that darkness inside of us. You see, darkness doesn't seem like that big of a deal on a small scale. But unchecked, darkness will grow, it will multiply, and it will mutate. Darkness will grow and multiply and mutate in your life when it goes unchecked. And what Paul is trying to say to the church is, listen, there is darkness in us. Some of us, we were so full of darkness. But you have now been called into something new. You've been called into something different. This is light. This is life. You can't operate over there anymore. You have to begin to live over here. You can't live in the darkness. You now have to start living in the light. And you may pause for a moment and say, well, who is Paul to even write into this? Like, how does Paul even know what any of this means? If you know the story of the Apostle Paul, if you don't, I'll catch you up really quick. Paul was a horrible person. He was a murderer. He chased down Christians. He, he murdered them. He 
punished them. He imprisoned them. He was trying to wipe out the scourge of Christ on the earth. That's who Paul was. He was educated. He was a Pharisee. He knew it all. Paul was an educated man. He was a Roman. He understood the Jewish world. He was in all of it. Paul was so smart and he knew what to do. And so he was trying to squash this Christian thing. And suddenly on the road from, to Damascus, Paul has this moment and this, this angel appears. Some believe it's Jesus that actually appears. It begins to speak to him. And Paul falls off of his horse. And when he stands back up, Paul is blind. Something had, had basically scaled over his eyes. For the next three days, he knows what he needs to do, and he goes to this city, and somebody, another Christian, another believer in that community is supposed to come to him and pray with him, but they're terrified because Paul's the guy that would kill them. But they have to do what God told them to do, so they come, and they speak with him, and they pray over him, and it's like the scales fall off of his eyes. Suddenly, Paul can see, not just physically, but spiritually. And so, does Paul know what it means to live in darkness? Absolutely. Absolutely. And does Paul know what it means to step into the light? You better believe it. And so when Paul is saying, look, we were, you were once full of darkness, he's speaking from a personal place. I was full of darkness. And now I've been in the light and I understand what it is and this is what you need to understand. You cannot live in the darkness anymore. But he says this, but God filled you. God filled you with light. So you could become light in the world. God didn't fill us with light. God didn't give you light in your life so that you could just sit on it. He didn't give it to you so you could just be happy. He didn't give it to you so you could just be good on your own. He gave it to you for a purpose. And we've been talking through this throughout the book of Ephesians. That if you want to break down the book of Ephesians, we've, we've done it each week into these I once was kind of statements. And I want you to see where this is going because this moment in the book of Ephesians, this part of what the Apostle Paul is saying, this is like the climax. This is the crux of everything he's been saying. This is what it's all building up towards. He says this in the very, very first week. We talked about how I was once dead, but now I'm alive. That's life. That's stepping into something new and experiencing a new life in Christ. He says, once I was far away, but now I'm near. In other words, now I get to have relationship. I get to know who God is. I get to have a personal one-on-one with God. Once I was an outsider, but now I'm a part of God's family. I'm now on the inside of this thing. I now get to experience community with other believers. I once was confused, as we talked about last week, but now I have clarity. The whole idea is understanding that we have a purpose in Christ. So we have life, which leads to relationship, which leads to community, which leads to purpose, which leads to what we're saying this morning. It's going to come up on the screen in a very simple little graph or a little chart here. But we once had life and relationship and community that led to purpose. And it tells us that we now have to go. And what Paul is saying to the church is, is, look, you've experienced all of these things. You once were there, but now you're here. But now you can't stay here. Now you need to go. Now you need to go and give that light to someone else. Now you need to go into the world and change it. 
And so Paul spends the time before verse 8 in the balance of chapter 5 and 6 pointing out what it looks like to live in the light, what it looks like to live in darkness. And I believe the implications of what he's saying is that it's not so much opposites, that darkness is the opposite of light. If you've ever taken a class on physics or you understand science a little bit, if you hated physics, I won't stay here long because I don't want you to hate me. He shows us this idea that it's not just the absence. Darkness is not just the absence of light, but rather light is contrary to darkness. It's not just the absence. It's that light and darkness are contradictory to one another. They're they're completely different in every aspect. He, He says this in Ephesians 5, 13 and 14. He says, But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Now, the little piece there that Paul just referenced, this little piece of poetry, actually, we don't exactly know where it came from. Scholars disagree on where this came from. Is he referencing uh, the prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament? Isaiah multiple times uses a phrase that, that, that we should wake up to something. We should wake up, wake up, wake up. Is it, is it that that he's referring to? Is it something else? Many believe that it could actually be a reference to the gospel of Luke, that the author Luke wrote this in Luke 1, 78 and 79. He said, because of the tender mercies of God, whereby the Son Sunrise shall uh, shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. This is idea that when Jesus came onto the scene, breaking through 400 years of silence, 400 years of spiritual darkness. When Jesus came onto the scene, he was the light coming over the horizon. He was the sunrise, peering light into the darkness of the world. And so Luke is saying, and I believe the Apostle Paul is reiterating, that when Jesus came onto the scene, when Jesus came into your life, the light pushes out the darkness. The light exposes the darkness and drives it away. That the two cannot be in the same place at the same time. Light and dark cannot coexist. And so what's the best way to address all of the darkness in the world around us? What's the best way for you and I as believers, as Christ followers, as those kind of searching and seeking to those who are trying to figure it out? What is the best way for us to expose the darkness out there? It's to first address the darkness in here. That we have to address the darkness in our own soul. We have to address the darkness in our own hearts. Darkness and light will be fully enveloping They will surround whatever it is that they are near. They will cover it completely. And they are completely separate on their own. That one is not the other. That there is no union between the two. Darkness and light simply cannot exist in the same space. Well, Dave, what about low light? Well, low light means that there's still a little bit of light. And there cannot be full darkness in even a little bit of light. I was speaking with someone after first service and they were part of the Navy back in the day and they were making this point to me and they said, you know, they learned this in the Navy that even, even a pen light, a pen light miles off into the horizon could recalibrate 
where they were, if they were confused, if they kind of got off base of where they were headed. It was this little tiny speck of light in the darkness can recalibrate and readjust where we know we should be headed. I thought it was a beautiful picture of what Christ is trying to do. Jesus is coming on the scene. Paul is pointing back to Jesus here. And he's saying, look, it's difficult. It's difficult for us to just live in the darkness and think that we're light and not expose the darkness around us. It's difficult to admit with. It's difficult to deal with the darkness that is within us. Because that is the characteristic of darkness. Darkness will try to hide. Darkness will isolate. Darkness will separate. Darkness will seek out the shadows around and hide in it. Darkness will keep secrets. Darkness will live in denial. That when you go through something in your life and you feel like, oh man, I don't know if I don't want anybody at church to know this about me, and you disappear for months, can I just tell you that that is not God? God is not leading you to hide from your church, it is darkness. Darkness will come in and tell you that you should be ashamed and you shouldn't tell anyone and you should hide it from everyone and you should isolate yourself. Darkness makes it easy for us to hide and makes us believe that things in our life are somehow hidden. Darkness will make us make it easy to believe that there's nothing that can hurt us if no one can see it. In a way, darkness feels like protection, but darkness will always deceive. But light... Light shows all. Light illuminates everything. Light exposes the fringes of our beliefs. Light lets us know what our feelings really are. Light exposes our fears, our sins, our everything. Light brings life. And that's why we talk so much in this church about growth groups and finding small groups of people to do life with. Because when you begin to do life with others, and you begin to peel back the layers and push out of the darkness, and step out of the secret, and step out of the shamefulness, and you find yourself in a group of people who love you, who want to lean into the issues in your life, who want to support you, you begin to see that there's been light the whole time. You've just been hiding it. You've been ashamed. I think this is why Paul spends so much time talking about what it looks like to live in the light. I would encourage you to go back and read chapters 5 and 6 of Ephesians. He spends so much time talking about light, and then he spends a little bit of time talking about what it looks like to live in the darkness. And then he goes back to living in the light. Because darkness does serve a purpose in your life. And darkness serves a purpose in my life. And the purpose of darkness is making you and I keenly aware of the light. Because they are completely and utterly contradictory of each other. It's why the very first thing God did in all of creation is that when God stepped onto the scene, what does it say? That he said, let there be light. That God wanted to immediately break through the darkness of human existence, of the universe, and expose it for what it was, empty and void. And then God created a path. I think it's the same thing God wants to do in your life. He wants to break through your human existence. He wants to expose the things in our lives that are not, that are not right, that we know are not right. And he wants to move us to a place of understanding our relationship with him. What Paul is not saying, is he's not saying that we should run around as believers, as Christians, and expose everybody else's darkness. 
He's not saying that my responsibility and your responsibility is to run around pointing out all the horrible things that everybody else does. Hey, guys, you know, you're light, so go expose all the darkness. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that you should jump on your social media platform and start pointing out everybody's faults. He's not saying that you should do anything that pushes anybody away from Jesus. He says when you live your life in an uplifting, holy, sacrificial kind of way, when you live your life in contrast to darkness, darkness will simply be exposed for what it is. Oh, you know what, Dave? There's this guy in my work. You don't even know. I need, I just, I need to tell people what he's like. I need to tell people what kind of character he has. People need to know. Can I just tell you that when you begin to operate under the opposite character, when you simply begin to live in the light and everything that you do, his darkness will be fully exposed. And guess what people enjoy being around most goodness? The fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. That's what people like being around. So when you begin to act in that way, when you begin to operate in that way, when you begin to live in the light with everyone around you, you expose the darkness in other people without ever pointing a finger and without ever having to quote a Bible verse at them. I think Paul is trying to tell the Ephesians here that there is hope. And no matter what you feel in this dark world, again, there's this small church in the city of Ephesus, this, this massive hub of commerce and, the, and community in the world. This is all happening in the city of Ephesus. And Paul's saying, look, I know that you feel like you're just this little light in a dark world, in the Roman Empire. You're just this little bitty light. But don't just think of yourself as a little bitty light. You are a light and any amount of light will expel the darkness. And Paul does something, actually, in chapter 6, verse 12. We're not going to go into the depths of this, but he does something in chapter 6, verse 12. And he reminds us that our battle is not with other people, that our battle is with dark forces that we simply, at times, don't understand. But our battle is with the darkness, with the forces that dwell in the darkness, And what we have to be careful of is not creating rules and and turning people away from Jesus. Again, we've talked about this in the past, that it's Jesus plus nothing. I can't add things to Jesus. I can't add rules and regulations to Jesus and make other people live by my rules. That's not light. Living in the light is living by the way Jesus gives us example of. And our battle is not with other people to tell them that they're wrong. Our battle is to bring people closer. Our battle is with the darkness. You see, darkness can't be defeated by more darkness. It can only be edged out by the light. And when you and I have been given the light of Christ, when we have become the light of the Lord, to take it into the world around us, we edge out the darkness. And so the challenge this morning is really simple. The challenge is just to go. Go be the light. Go be a light in the lives of those around you. Go be light to those that are still trapped in darkness. Be light to a world that is desperately seeking truth and can't find it. Simply be light. So how? How do we do that? How practically do we 
become light to a dark world around us. I think we have to look for ways. I think we have to look for ways to bring light to everyone we meet through everything we do. It's constant. It's every day. It's every moment. It's every decision. It's every post. It's every comment. It's every re-comment. It's every reply to the previous comments comment. It's every time we interact. It's every time we want to yell something to, to our boss before we slam the door. It's every time we want to interact with somebody on the freeway. It's everything that we want to say to the waitress that messes up the order. It's every time we want to say something to our parents because we disagree. It's every time we want to say something to our children because they were disrespectful. It's every time we want to do something or say something, we have to evaluate it by are we bringing light into the situation? Are we bringing light? Are we adding life to this? Are we speaking in truth? Are we speaking in righteousness and peace and faith? In Ephesians 6, Paul references the the armor of God. That this battle that we have with the darkness is not a natural battle. It's something that we have to be conscious of. And when we step into the light, we begin to put on this, this spiritual armor. And we start to clothe ourselves in truth and righteousness, and peace, and faith, and understanding our salvation, and the word of God, and prayer. We begin to understand what it means to live in the light. Because I firmly believe this, that a little bit of light can dispel a lot of darkness. That a little bit of light, that little small word of affirmation that you bring to someone, that little act of service that you do for someone else, that unqualified apology, you know, the apology that you, that you just make and you don't have to surround it by a bunch of other reasons of why you're apology, apologizing, which really makes the person understand that you're not apologizing. A little bit of light is when you bite your tongue and you don't respond the way you initially want to. A little bit of light is that random act of kindness. It's helping the person at the grocery store. It's pulling up your neighbor's trash cans. It's doing that little thing for somebody just because you simply know it's the right thing to do. A little bit of light can be just being a thing right now. You know that they're searching. And what they need more than just another layer of advice is they need a consistent positive presence they need light and you have been filled with the light of the Lord to be a light in the world and we do that one person at a time light will always repel dark it will expel it it cannot be in the presence so take the light that you have and run into the darkness with it Let's pray. Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message. We hope that you've been blessed and encouraged by it. Be sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated on all that's happening at South Hills Burbank.